I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head, I could do my own internal, like yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears, I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna, also known as the Spiritual Midwife, and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a midwife and a childbirth educator, and I work with women worldwide, assisting them in having an empowering and natural birth experience, and to truly claim their birth as a rite of passage. I offer online one-on-one sessions, packages and online courses for the conscious mamas who don't want to leave their birth up to chance. If you want to know more about me and what I do in the world, then please visit me at thenaturalbirthcourse.com or connect with me on Instagram as the underscore spiritual underscore midwife. Now, if you love this podcast, then please consider taking a moment right now and leave a review. They mean the world to me and is also your way of helping me reach more women around the world with these natural and empowering birth stories. Together, we are changing the birth narrative one birth story at a time. Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Letitia. Letitia is a 42-year-old mama of one from Alice Springs, Australia. She knew even before she got pregnant that she wanted to birth at home after witnessing her friend do so in her 20s. And as soon as she fell pregnant, she booked in with a midwifery group practice for a home birth. However, early in her pregnancy, she got diagnosed with gestational diabetes and had to fight and advocate for herself to not be booted out of having a home birth. In the end, she had her dream birth at home with her partner Tim and home birth midwives who held a safe and physiological birth space, which led to Letitia experiencing the fetal ejection reflex, where your body takes over and births your baby. Curious about Letitia? Find her on Instagram as Letitia Zoe. Are you planning on having a home birth? then you can download my free home birth checklist that I give all my mamas who's having a home birth. In it, I share how to prepare the birth space and what you need to source for a home birth. I share the best labor stations, nourishment, and midwifery insider tips on what will make a world of difference during your labor and birth. Find the link to the download in the show notes. Hi, Letitia, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you? Great. Thanks, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. 
such a pleasure, such a pleasure. Um, so you are originally from Tasmania, but you live in Alice Springs, which is in the middle of the desert of Australia. And uh, you're a first um, mama from here that I interview on the podcast. And um, I have actually a good friend who did work as a midwife in Alice. And um, yeah, I'm really curious to hear about your journey of getting pregnant and birthing in the desert. And so with no further ado, I'm sure we're going to be in for a ride because you are, according to the medical model of viewing birth and women, you are a geriatric woman, a geriatric mother, being 42 years old as you birthed your baby. And you also had a little plot twist of getting the diagnosis gestational uh, diabetes. So I love having women on who um, don't fit the normal low-risk criteria um, to just showcase that these criteria are so narrow. It's so easy for women to fall out of low risk when it comes to pregnancy today. And um, yeah, we need to show the other narrative, don't we, Letitia? <laughs> um, so I guess my journey starts with um, uh, my desire to have a home birth after Having witnessed, oh, I think I was in my, I was in either in my late twenties or early thirties, and I attended um, a friend's home birth because myself and another friend were looking after her toddler, and she was having her second baby, and she had her baby at home, and I just thought, and this was very much before relationships, before even thinking about having children. Um, it was a good probably fifteen years ago, and I just remember thinking why doesn't everybody do this? She laboured at home most of the day on her own, I believe. Midwife came over, her husband was there, we were there. She had her baby in her bathroom and then came out and had dinner with us, with yeah. her new baby, sort of. And I thought, this is this is magic and, and possible. And so from there, the plant seed was always planted. And then... Um, Actually, a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I actually had the pleasure of editing and proofreading a book by a doula, and it was birth stories. It was natural home birth stories, and she was a hypnobirthing doula, I believe. And so during that process, I learned about the cascade of interventions, and that was very eye-opening for me and um, just really cemented the fact that I was going to do everything I possibly could to avoid a hospital birth and any kind of intervention. Um, so that was my background. And then um, my partner and I, we got pregnant. I got pregnant just after my 40th birthday. Um, we were planning. We were trying to get pregnant um, and it wasn't too difficult. Um, I did have a missed miscarriage, um, but uh, then we tried again a few months later and I managed to fall pregnant. So we were very lucky with me being, I was 40 and my partner was 42. We still feel very lucky that we were able to do that without any kind of IVF or anything. Um, so I fell pregnant and at that point, um, I had to, con I, I had to convince my partner that we would have to have a home birth. Um, but then I also had to make sure I, was I, I, my pregnancy went through the midwifery group practice here in Alice Springs. Mm -hmm. So in Alice Springs, there's two ways to have a baby. One is through the hospital and one is through the midwifery group practice. And only the midwifery group practice can you have a home birth. 
Now, they um, have a roster of midwives and depending on when your due date, what month your due date falls in, you may or may not fit into their schedule of midwives and you may miss out. So again, I was very lucky that I managed to get in through the midwifery group practice. And I think I had my first appointment at about 11 weeks and met my midwife and said to her at that point, is it too early to talk about home birth? And she said, no. And she said, "How do you want me to tell you how it all goes and what equipment we have? And I said, yes, because I wanted my partner also to hear about it all. And it was very funny because after that, we came home and he he sort of went, oh, it's just, it's not just like warm water and hot and towels. Like, I think he had, this, he had this vision from, you know, the movies and stuff, get some towels, you know, and he didn't realize that they were going to come with so much equipment and so much and, and be able to do so much in the home. Um, and that it was, you know, it's so safe. Um, so that was great. That was my first appointment. At that appointment, I did also mention that my father had severe diabetes and that he had died at quite a young age at 50. So instead of, I think, in Alice Springs, and I'm not sure about the rest of Australia, but women might get that gestational diabetes test maybe at 20 weeks in their mm-hmm. second trimester. I'm not sure. But she decided that I should have it early. So I had it at 12 weeks. Now, it's funny because I grew up my entire life with my dad having diabetes and I thought I understood that it was about sugar and I didn't realize that it's actually about carbohydrates or the sugar in carbohydrates. And I actually think that I perhaps shouldn't have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. I just ate the wrong thing before the test. So my results were actually 0.01 over the line. And I, I, my midwife called me and told me and I went in for the appointment and I sort of knew at this point that um, it could affect my chances of a home birth. When I went into that first midwife appointment, I actually thought my age was going to be the preventer of my of having a home birth mm-hmm. and she said straight away, nope, not at all, not at all. Um, there's a few other factors but not yeah. the- so I love that you say this, right? Because um, in some countries, that is a factor. And um, especially when I work with women from the US, um, you know, they're very hung up on age there. And um, that, yeah, are you over 40? Uh, you might, you know, there might be midwives not taking you or centers and so on and so forth. And, and I think this is really important for people to hear the difference in different countries and that essentially it's not about your age. It's about your health. It's about, you know, there's so many factors and the number of years you have lived on this planet is not going to determine whether or not you can birth a baby well or whatever. Like it's not, that's not the factor. It's so many other things. The thing that is with age is that the core morbidities might be more prevalent, like, you know, diabetes or other things that can, um, that can affect birthing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised that my age wasn't going to be a factor, but I did in the back of my mind think the gestational diabetes might be. And when I went in for that first appointment, she did sort of say, like, I, I sort of, I sort of, I tried to convince her, I said 0.01 please like how can we not be this diagnosis stuck on my record that but they just couldn't budge on it so at so at that point 
I knew that I was going to be fighting. So at that point, my pregnancy became medicalized. So I didn't just have midwife appointments with my midwife. I now had to have appointments in the hospital with an obstetrician and a nutritionist mm. and the diabetes nurse. So um, I did, um, uh, look, basically I monitored my, I monitored my, monitored my sugars every day and then we got to cut back. I never had a high number again. In fact, I think that my sugars at times were low. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't actually think that I deserve to have that GD diagnosis. I was very careful with what I ate and I went along with everything that they wanted, but I knew that now I was going to be fighting the system. And luckily my, I had my midwife who to help me fight, help me fight the obstetricians on that. Um, so I did have my first appointment in the hospital with an obstetrician with my partner, Tim. Wasn't very pleasant. As soon as we walked into the room, she said, I heard you want to have a home birth. Why would you want to do that? It's so messy. And my partner were just in shock. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say to a woman. Um, but after, in fact, after that appointment, we um, asked our midwife if we could not see her again and, and we didn't see her again. Um, that obstetrician in the hospital, but she said in that appointment, we don't, we don't let anybody who has GD have a home birth. We don't let anyone in Alice Springs, any woman have a home birth. Mm -hmm. And at that point, oh, I knew, yeah, I, it was going to be a struggle. So we just went through the pregnancy. I had really no pregnancy issues. I had no nausea. I had no morning sickness. I had back pain, which I still do have. And that could be to do with my age. Um, and carrying a little bit of extra weight. But really, my pregnancy was pretty great. Um, struggled to sleep, but I struggled to sleep in general anyway. Um, so really, it was just concentrating on um, focusing on we're going to be able to have a home birth. It's going to be great. And my midwife had said, right, we'll, we'll get you to see another obstetrician at about 36 weeks and we'll do another scan and we'll check the size of the baby and that obstetrician will then make the decision. Now that goes down that whole path of I didn't know until after my birth that scans are so inaccurate as well. And no. There's <laughs> <laughs> so much that you don't know until you know it. And yeah, that so they were going to make this decision on whether I could home birth based on a scan that doesn't act isn't accurate, like can be really inaccurate, in fact. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but luckily at that 36 week scan, they did say my baby was a little bit big, which he wasn't. He was perfectly average at 3.25 kilos when he was born. Wow. Um, but yeah, perfectly average size, but they did say, oh, he's a little bit big. So, but she, that obstetrician at 36 weeks did give me the go ahead for a home birth, um, which was fantastic. But still, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go too far over my due date. Because the longer I went over my due date, they would probably ask me to get another scan. And then they would, so there was still all of this pressure on, on me to, oh, baby's got to come on time because mm. or early. I actually wanted my baby to come early because I just didn't want to go over that due date. Mm. Um, I did all the thing, I did all the, um, I did all the things that you do, all the old wives tale, uh, wives tales. I walked up hills. I had pineapples, spicy food, mm -hmm. set dates 
raspberry leaf tea, perennial massages, everything that I could possibly think of. Um, and the day after my due date, I went into labour. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. And, you know, I just want to comment on this that, you know, especially you like, first of all, the parameters of actually being diagnosed with um, GDM or gestational diabetes today is so narrow. They've changed it just recently, a few years ago, and it's it's now much more women fall into that category. And you just having that little mini, mini percentage over and then constantly showing throughout your pregnancy, even for a short time, if you've shown them, see, I'm having regular, like normal blood sugars as I'm eating, as you were measuring, like, I can't see why they would put such an emphasis on it and continue to monitor you as they did when they saw that. If there's one thing if you are way over and you have really high, you know, and you continue to like really have that throughout your pregnancy, that's a different situation. Yeah, you know, but your circumstances to me sounds like, well, first of all, were you even? And if you were, which I don't think you are, then, you know, you can easily control that very tiny percentage over with diet, you know, and that doesn't affect having a home birth. That's like, that's like not having, you know, there's, there's no difference for a woman who has like very controlled blood sugars through diet and still having a diagnosis of GDM. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was very frustrating, very frustrating. And um, I have since learned again, didn't know this, you can refuse that test as well. Yes, you can in value. You can refuse that test as well as any scan that you want to refuse. But once again, I didn't know that, and I think a lot of women are in my position in that I don't have a mistrust of the medical system. My partner does. I don't. So I, I believe they're the experts. If they tell me to do something, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do research, which I do do. But I'm going to take the word of the medical department, the medical system in general. And that's what happens, I guess, with a lot of first time mums. They're at, they put their pregnancy and their labor in the hands of who they believe are the experts, that, which is the medical system. But I do know that um, the obstetricians in the hospital here, they, they were looking after themselves because they had had a couple of um, deaths of, of, uh, women who had had GD. And so they have to look after their own statistics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we have to realize and remember that first of all, pregnancy, birth, um, postpartum, it is like life is not innately safe and you'll survive life like you won't and there there's risk with everything in living everything including pregnancy birth and beyond there is risk you know and uh, what we're going towards is a massively over medicalized maternity system because of the, the very few percentage of women and babies who do have you know adverse outcomes and sometimes there is still death within the birthing realm like that is a part of birth like that will happen and it will happen whether you're in hospital birth center at home as well and I think that's what people really need to understand that it doesn't necessarily make it safer in hospital and many times it actually is not if you're a low-risk woman and baby but then also we have a population with ever-growing comorbidities 
you know, that are actually really sick getting pregnant, those women and babies do need medical care. Like in those circumstances, we do need to monitor and be vigilant. There, There's a difference there from someone who is a low risk, normal pregnancy, normal birth kind of category. And then you have the ones who actually truly need medical assistance. However, what we're seeing is that everyone's treated almost as pathological and high risk in our system today. And that is where the problem lies. Absolutely. And that's the thing I always think. These interventions are here for women who need them and they're amazing interventions mm. they are fantastic but don't assume that every woman needs those interventions what the artificial oxytocin the uh inducing like yeah. my biggest fear out of all of the interventions is being induced because i've never ever heard a good induction story almost all induction stories i've heard are end in an emergency c-section and you I mean, I don't, you, you would know more than me about this, but I believe it's because you're rushing the baby. The baby's yeah. not ready to be, you're, you're artificially starting the labor. Yeah. So there is definitely a, a increased risk for emergency cesarean with induction for sure. Um, when you induce, especially induced from a cold state, like, you you know, the woman and the baby never went spontaneously into labor. It's just a cold start can go for days and you get labored as, you know, failure to progress and all of this stuff that has nothing to do with you, but all about what is trying to be done to you. And then the synthetic oxytocin, you know, there's a risk with that that can stress the baby out. You know, it can be very strong, very long contractions. If it's not monitored well, you know, it can be um, too close together so that the baby doesn't have time to get that new um, rush of blood that is in between contractions. That's why there's a pause in between contractions for the baby to get, you know, the oxygen and the blood coming through to, to the baby. And that can stress out a baby for sure, especially if it goes for a long time, which a lot of cold inductions do because the baby as you said, and especially the mother, the womb is actually not prepared for birth yet. Yeah. 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 So my partner and I both did a lot of research. He, he got on board, like I said, really quickly, which is amazing. Um, and he, he possibly even became more passionate about it than me. I remember at times him saying, why would doctors make women labor on their back? That doesn't even make sense with gravity. And I'm, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But he, he, it would really frustrate him. Of like, why? Why would they do this when women can do this? They've been doing it in the bush, in the desert, you know? Um, so we did a lot of research. We did a lot of research on oxytocin. We actually went and saw a lecture at the university here of a woman who did a lecture on oxytocin, um, which was amazing. Um, so yeah, he, he was completely on board and, um, which was fantastic. But, um, so I went into labor the day after my due date and it was about nine o'clock in the morning. My partner had just gone to work. He'd been at work for about an hour and I thought it might be Braxton Hicks because as a, you know, first time mum, I didn't, I, I had that, that embarrassment or that fear of, I don't want to tell people I'm in labor if it's not labor. And so I thought it could be Braxton Hicks because I'd never had anything before. It was very easy going at the, in the morning, the first couple of contractions that I had. I can't really remember what they feel like, but maybe, maybe very short, light period cramps. And I sent a message to my partner and said, I think something's happening. And 
he sort of panicked, do I need to come home? And keep in mind, we're in Alice Springs. Everything is fine. His work is probably a three-minute drive from our house. So <laughs> nothing is a rush in Alice Springs. Every, everything is very close. So I said, don't hurry home. I don't know. It could be Braxton Hicks. I'm not sure. So I decided to have a bath because I knew that if it was Braxton Hicks and I did that big move into a bath, um, that it would probably stop if it was Braxton Hicks. Um, and I was monitoring my uh, contractions on an app, probably only for about an hour or so, um, but they were very all over the place. And the app was saying, sometimes they were very close together, my contractions, and the app was saying, you should go to hospital. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to look at this app anymore. I know. Those apps are ridiculous. Anyone listening who use a contraction app when they go into labor, just know that very quickly it'll tell tell you, go to the hospital, call your doctor. and no, no. <laughs> so I had a bath and um, I, the contractions were still coming. They were very light and irregular, but still coming. And um, so, I, so I got out of the bath and I was messaging my partner back and forth. And he said, should you call the midwife? And I said, yeah, okay. So the process was that you called the hospital and said, asked for the midwife on call and uh, they, you were put through to the midwife on call through MGP, the midwifery group practice. And I spoke to a lady called Rachel, a midwife who I'd never spoken to before. Um, and she said, I could, t- I had a contraction on the phone to her and I could talk through it. So she said, Oh, look, I'll come around soon. Um, so my partner came home about 11 and, um, she came over not long after, I think. And she, didn't confirm that I was in labor. It's funny when I think about it now, no one confirmed at any point I was in labor. And I guess at some point during the day, we all just realized I was in labor. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember, but, um, I do remember at that point after she left saying she didn't say I was in labor. Am I, I'm in labor, right? <laughs> she did. Um, so she did say have something to eat, try and just rest. Um, I think at that point I had something to eat. I had a sandwich and. At this point, the contractions might have been ramping up a little bit, about 11 or 12, and I started to bounce on the exercise ball because I knew that that was, you know, a good thing. I think it um, opens your pelvis maybe, the, the bouncing with your legs apart on the exercise ball. Well, so, it definitely think- also just assists, you know, gravity and a little bit of bouncing also has a bit of force in it, doesn't it? And so it just helps to engage the head and just that's what we want. We want the, the thing, you know, there's a feedback loop uh, when it comes to labor. So the baby's head on the cervix, pressing on the cervix, feeds, you know, for your uterus to get stronger and stronger contractions. So doing such a thing or like or walking or being upright, you know, just using gravity helps, doesn't it? Yeah. So I remember at that point I was um, bouncing on the exercise ball and my partner, was st- Tim, was standing in front of me and I would sort of hold on to his hips and put my head into his stomach when a contraction came. So they were getting quite painful, um, but I was okay in between them and they weren't too close at that point, closer than I thought they would be. Um, they were probably five or ten minutes apart at that point um, and this was pretty early in the day, still only 11 or 12. Um so then I um then I started using the tens machine while on the exercise ball and I'm um I sort of knew that the tens machine was probably more of a distraction tool than anything and I was okay with that. I was like we've got the we've got the pool here. Um I think Tim had started filling up the pool and 
I wasn't passionate about a water birth, but I was passionate about using water as a pain reliever. Um, I love the water. I have baths all the time instead of showers. I I knew that I would, would definitely want to use that water for pain relief. Um, so he was feeling that, that, but that was sort of also the last resort. I thought I'll just leave that until I possibly can. So I was on the exercise ball and using the tens machine, and I think we did that for a couple of hours, maybe. Um, Obviously, it's time is quite blurry on the day you're in labour. It's uh, it's quite hard to keep track or to remember back on what happened. Um, I do remember trying to lie on the couch. I think someone had said you should rest, but I was really uncomfortable lying down and having contractions. Um, it it didn't feel good to lie down whatsoever, sort of thing. Um, so I think at about six o'clock, I got into the pool. And then it becomes pretty blurry. So I'm assuming that I was in active labor at that point. Um, my contractions were, and again, I have nothing to compare it to, but they were painful and they were close, really close. I feel like the contraction might have gone for 30, 45 seconds. And I maybe only had a minute or a minute and a half between them. Mm. I don't know if that's close or I'm not sure but that went on for five or six hours so it was hard it was painful it was hard but at about six o'clock I got into the pool and at that point um I think I guess I guess we'd already called the midwives again I'm not sure and I'd found out that my midwife that I'd had all through my pregnancy had, had attended a birth that morning and so she wasn't going to be able to attend mine now, I always knew that that was possibly going to happen. And what they do beforehand, before a couple of weeks beforehand, they introduce you to an, another couple of midwives um, in case it happens. And so you've met them before they come over and help with your labour. So we had met Kaz and my partner, being a small town, my partner actually already knew Kaz. So um, she came over at about six o'clock, but she actually wasn't home birth certified. Now, all that means is that she hadn't done the suturing if I tore. So it meant that second midwife or who is home birth certified would have to come as well. Mm. Um, so Kaz came over about six and she was amazing. And um, Tim and I look back on it and say, oh, we could have done all of that on our own. They really didn't do anything, but they were that's how they they do that on purpose she sat yeah. in a corner and she you know at that point you know we had a candle on and music going and it was quite dim in, in in our um lounge room and she just sat in a corner and took notes and you know she was there and of course we needed her there um but really I feel like my labor was me and him and and my baby I, I definitely feel like it was just us and um Tim was amazing throughout the whole the whole day, the whole labor. Um he held my hand for, when I was in the pool, he held my hand for every contraction, except one where I think he went to try and have something to eat and he was a few meters away from me and I and I held Kaz's hand during that contraction and then said, Get back, you're like, get back over here. I, I was just in a zone of holding one side of the pool, holding his hand, 
and either staring at him or staring off into the distance. And I was getting through the contractions by, I think I heard this on your podcast, um, looking at the contraction like it was a mountain that I had to get up. And then once I got to the top, I could try to relax and it was going to go down before that. I was going to go down the mountain before the next one. I did find it very hard to rest in between them because they, they seemed or they were very close together. Um, I remember the midwife saying probably close to the end, you need to try to rest between these contractions. And I just, just couldn't. They were so close together. Um, but, um, so at this point, I think it's, yeah, it's about six o'clock. The midwife's here. I'm in the pool struggling through these contractions. And I had two, <laughs> I had two internals. So I think I had one about then, about six or seven. Oh, no, I might have had one earlier. I can't remember, but I do remember the internal that I had at six or seven because they made me get out of the pool. And I remember the contraction that I had when I was laying on the mat next to the pool was horrific. All I wanted to do was get back in that water. Um, and they made me get out to try to have, they made me, my midwife asked me to get out of the pool to try and have a wee, I think a couple of hours later. And the contraction I had on the toilet was horrific. Um, so all I wanted to do was be in that water. But um, she did an, inter- in, an internal, maybe at six or seven o'clock at night. And that internal broke my waters. Um, so my waters hadn't broken at this point, mm. uh, which I hadn't even realized. I hadn't thought about, you know, I, I'd forgotten oh, I'm supposed to have a mucus plug or water's breaking, forgotten all about that. Um, So I think at that point I was only about six centimetres and I thought pre-labour, I thought that that would bother me knowing that and knowing that I was in it and it was very hard and I was only six centimetres, but I can't remember being that bothered. I think I was just like, get me back in this pool. Like I don't on the ground. Well, it sounds um, like you were so deep into like the birth land, the birth zone, right? And I just want to also say for anyone listening, you know, who's the first time mama who's about to have a baby, this is, it's important to know that, you know, you can always decline vaginal examinations, which is what you call the internal. And also there's always, there's risks and benefits with everything. And I think this is one of the things that the one of the risks with vaginal examinations is breaking of the waters. Now, some don't mind that or that you know that maybe was what they wanted but in breaking off the waters it can get much more intense much more intense and for some it gets they get really overwhelmed by that and it can spiral them out of that birth bubble that they were in into more maybe a fear so that kind of fear tension pain cycle it's just really important that this is there is a risk with vaginal examinations and and to break the waters can just create a very intense labor after. Yeah. And it's funny, I remember the first birth plan I wrote and gave to my midwife, I said, I want to have lots of vaginal, vaginal examinations because I want to know how far along I am at all times. Because that's in my nature to know exactly what's going on, to feel in control. I'm practical, I'm a planner. And she actually had to say to me, well, actually, no, we don't like to do too many vaginal examinations. We don't want to mess with, I can't remember how she explained it, but she basically said, we won't do that many 
and we'll, we'll do as little as possible, in fact. And as soon as she explained that to me, I sort of went, oh, that, of course that makes sense. And I'll just have to let go of that. How many centimetres am I? How many centimetres am I? And it's funny that when I had that um, vaginal examination and my waters broke and she said I was six centimetres, none of it mattered. It just didn't even, like it just didn't matter that I was only six centimetres. Like it just didn't phase me because I wanted to be back in the pool and holding Tim's hand and yeah. breathing, moaning through these contraptions and back in that. That that's That's how I felt, I guess. And the internal was just something that had to sort of happen. And I, and I love that. And I love that you say that that's like in the beginning was your wish. And I guess when you understand the physiology of birth and how to protect that space, which obviously these midwives do as home birth midwives, um, they know, and like you noticed, like having a vaginal examination takes you out of your bubble. You had to lie on your back. It was more excruciating. That can potentially spike, you know, um, adrenaline or uncomfortable feelings. And that also then can in- interrupt the physiology of birth. So we want to have as, you know, as little intervention as possible of the natural birth process for, for nature to do its thing because nature is so wisely designed and protects the woman and baby. The less we do. And that's what I love that, you know, you know, I love midwives who can sit on their hands in the kitchen or just in the corner and do their thing because that is a true midwife. Midwife means being with woman and she's there in case you need her. Otherwise, she stays out of the way because she knows, again, the less she's visible and interfere in your space, the better the physiology of birth will go, which is great because that's what we want. But I know like some people might think, oh, but she doesn't do anything. Like we paid all this money, you know, not you because you had a publicly funded midwife, but you know, for some people, oh, I paid all this money for an independent midwife or, and she's just sitting in the corner, but that's, what's keeping your birth safe, you know? Um, and it's worth all the money in the world instead of someone who's constantly poking and prodding and disturbing and maybe making your labor longer, more painful, bringing you out of your bubble and all sorts of things. So I just wanted to say that. And it's funny. Um, the first couple of days after labor talking to Tim, we were, we were sort of saying, wow, they didn't really do much, did they? Until after the birth, obviously. And then they did a lot. Um, and then, and then, you know, you settle in a few days after the birth and you're like, oh, she was perfect. In fact, she, that's exactly what she should have done. Um, sit in the corner and be out of our space, you know? Yeah. It was wonderful. Do you want a natural birth, mama? Then a natural birth course might be for you. Do you see birth as a rite of passage and an important and transformational event that you'd like to feel fully empowered in meeting? Are you, like many other women, realizing that it is time to take back your power as a birthing woman in the birth space and birth your baby your way? Would you like to feel calm and confident as you birth your baby with all the tools you need in order to meet the labor sensations naturally and be ready body, mind and soul? Do you deeply down know that your body was made to birth your baby and that you have all the inherent power and inner wisdom to do so? Are you looking for holistic midwifery wisdom and guidance to assist you 
and give you all the evidence-based information you need in order to feel fully sovereign in your decision-making around your pregnancy and upcoming birth. Then the Natural Birth Course is for you. Find out more at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. Um, so I think, I think the next thing I can sort of remember is probably about 10 o'clock at night. So at this point I've been in labor, what have I been in labor? 12 hours. Um, and I remember I probably should have removed the clock from my wall, but I could see the clock from where I was sitting in the pool. And, um, I do remember, I think at about that point, looking at the clock and going, I have to have this baby today. I can't go into tomorrow still in labor like I and I think at 10 o'clock I probably started going through transition maybe because I remember saying to my partner after every contraction how am I going to do this I can't do this how am I going to do this I can't do this now it's funny that when I said that to him days later he said you said it four times maybe but in my mind I said it a hundred times um, like I said it, you know, a hundred times in an hour, but he said, you only said it four times, <laughs> but, um, saying that there was no, at no point did I think I want to go to the hospital. Like the thought of standing up, let alone getting in a car and going to a hospital, like it didn't even cross my mind. I was just voicing these contractions are really hard, way more painful than I was imagining. And how am I going to keep doing this? Um, but, um, I guess at that point I didn't have that much long to go. And I love that you voice this too, because I think it's important for everyone to hear, like voicing helps, you know, I can, I have women's, you know, sometimes voicing for four hours, the same thing over and over again. And it's, and you can feel also in the energy. It's not, it's just the voicing helps to move through the emotions around it and the, you know, the fear or the anxiety or, or the doubt. And it's, it helps because then when you voice it, someone says to you, you're doing it. It's normal. You're close. You're amazing. Whatever it is, you know, and just, and just, it becomes a loop of reassurance. There's something that transforms in that. So I would encourage women who maybe are about to have a baby don't be afraid to voice what is coming up for you and let yourself be supported. Now, in saying that, if you're in a hospital setting with an unknown medical, more medical midwife, she might offer you drugs. Now, it's important to understand who you're voicing this to and having a birth team that knows what you want. So if you want to have a natural birth, then not voicing it to someone who might offer you something else than reassurance and guidance to, you know, anchor you into what you're doing. And I, look, I don't remember if if the midwife or Tim responded. I'm quite sure Tim would have said, you are doing it. You are doing it. Um, so, and anyway, I, I did. I just needed to voice it. And like I said, yeah, it's, I felt, it felt like I said it a hundred times, but I didn't. <laughs> um, so. At this point, the second, the certified midwife hasn't, hasn't arrived yet. The home birth certified midwife. Um, but she did arrive about 10 minutes before Max was born, which was great. Wouldn't have mattered either way. Um, 
because <laughs> Kaz was amazing and doing her thing and she was it, it was all fine but um so so then I guess the last the last part of my birth was that um probably it probably all happened in maybe five to ten contractions so I had a contraction and I felt whoosh whoosh and I and I immediately knew the baby and I and I said to the midwife the baby's just come down the birth canal so I felt two big whoosh whoosh I don't know how else to explain it but I know that it was the baby coming down the birth canal I'm assuming you can coming from my womb to my yeah the birth canal definitely yeah there's a dropping that happens for sure they're making their way through yeah when when you've dilated you know your I mean it isn't perfect 10 centimeters we know that (laughs) that's just a again like a textbook thing that they say but you know around 10 centimeters you open um and you're fully dilated that's when your baby can come through right and yeah they come down into the birth canal into the vaginal canal Hmm. so I didn't expect to feel that which was pretty amazing um and then the next contraction I felt his the top of his head come out and go back in and I said to the midwife that was that was the head should I be pushing and she said very calmly um, at this point she is around the pool with my partner um, she said if your body feels like you should push you can push now my body did not feel like it should push not whatsoever so the next contraction same thing happens top of his head just comes out and and I thought and I said, I think I said, that's the head again. And she said, and if you feel like pushing, you can push. And I went, nope. And I guess mentally I wasn't prepared that I was about to birth my baby. <laughs> went back in. Next contraction, out he came. Head, body, just like that. Just came <sighs> out in that. So I think it all, there might have been a contraction in between, but I'm pretty sure it all happened in sort of like four or five contractions. Um, and he had, he, at this point, we didn't know it was a he, um, but he had his little poo in the water because he's the perfect little baby. And he did that. So there was no mess, um, just after he came out and then he was placed on me and a towel wrapped around him. Um, and I felt, I felt an immense amount of relief that that pain was over. Um, and immediately felt great which is strange because I look at photos now taken just after he was born I'm like I look kind of normal like you know I'd just gone through 14 hours of these really intense contractions and I thought I should look different than I do (laughs) Um, I felt pretty great immediately afterwards and it was about 10 minutes or so before we had a peek and looked and saw that it was a little boy um Maxwell um and then we did and then I'm not sure I probably sat in the pool for 30 minutes or so we did delayed cord clamping um which we had planned to um and um my partner cut the cord and then I'd say probably after 30 minutes or so I someone helped me stand up and I'm sure Tim took Max and I came and lied down on the couch um to be examined and um everything went great and I was so happy to be at home um I was just I 
one of the reasons that I wanted to have a home birth or one of the reasons was that birthing was so, and labor was so unknown to me. I wanted to have some sense of normalcy and that was for me to be at home. And also I really wanted those first few days of bonding with my baby at home, not in a clinical setting, um, which we got to do and it was amazing. Um, so after he was born, we I was examined um, and I think he was he was weighed and checked over. And I remember being on the couch and saying to the two midwives, please tell me I'll never have to have a contraction again. And I remember them sort of not really saying anything. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I still have to birth this placenta. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I was just sitting going like, when is the placenta coming? Oh, there we go. <laughs> so I think that they po- they probably looked at each other and went, let's just not say anything because she might have to, she still has to birth this placenta. Um, and I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, oh God, I still, you know. Um, but once again, it was went fantastically. One of the midwives said, let's get up and um, I'm going to take you to the toilet and you can try and have a wee and we're going to put a bucket in the bottom of the toilet and we'll see if the placenta comes out couldn't have a wee, placenta came out, just easy, just like that. And so I didn't have to have another contraction. Um, so they put the placenta out on the lounge room floor and examined it in front of us, which was pretty amazing. We got to see that. Um, and then it was just a case of them helping helping me to learn how to latch Max um, for feeding and they were monitoring me. They said at one point, oh, you're bleeding a little bit, but um, it was nothing major. I hadn't torn. I had a few internal grazes. Um, so it's quite it's quite funny in that a couple of days, for the first two or three days afterwards, my partner Tim and I kept looking at, looking at each other and going, that was intense. And I, I, I was probably in a bit of shock, I'm not sure, but I just remember going, that was intense. That was way more intense than I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't until about four or five days, maybe a week, that we actually started looking at each other and going, that went perfect. Like it actually, it went perfect. Not a thing went wrong. And um, I'm so grateful. It still makes me emotional. I'm so grateful to the midwives and the, the opportunity to have that home birth. And <laughs> then I guess lastly, it took me a long time to know, realize this. After a week or so, I did say to the midwives, because they came every day to check on us, I said to my original midwife who wasn't at the birth, I said, I didn't have a pushing stage. And it had taken a good few days for me to realize that. And I said to her, I didn't push. And she said, oh, well, your contractions did what they were supposed to do. And they opened you up. And I went, okay. And that was it. That's sort of, and I don't tell many people that I didn't have a pushing stage because it feels like I was just really lucky because I know that that pushing stage can be the hardest part of labor yeah well that's the thing we're all so uniquely designed we all have so very different vaginas wombs our pelvic floor our hips everything right and the thing is truly when it comes to that bearing down stage it is the force of birth coming through you And it is you allowing that to come through you. Now, again, every woman will have that in a different um, way, but essentially you don't have to push. 
with your tummy muscles, right? It's about allowing the force to come through you, which you did, right? And this is the key, you know, that many, especially in our modern society, in our modern maternity system, you know, we're, and what we view it, you know, in movies or series that a woman needs to push and she's coached to push and keep your breath in and blue push, you know, purple push that, you know, on the, on the back, goodness me, if you just follow the physiology and you birth, which most women will do, then they'll probably birth upright somehow, maybe on all fours or squatting or standing or kneeling or whatever. That's mostly what women end up doing if they follow nature and their own instincts. Some lie on their side or, you know, maybe sit like recumbent because they may be really, really tired and going for a long time, but they'll use gravity most of the time. And then the, the nature of birth will birth your baby. You don't have to do anything. Sometimes it takes a long time for the birth canal to open. You know, we're all so different there. Our, you know, just our anatomy. And to trust that, you know, it's normal that the head goes in and out, in and out, in and out, like it did for you, but only a few times for you. Um, that's natural and normal. That's helping the tissues to stretch so you don't tear. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Um, and it was so it was a couple of months ago that I think um I thought I'm gonna Google this not pushing. And I started Googling and found out about the Ferguson reflex. And from my limited knowledge, it sounds like it's a positive oxytocin loop um yeah. between my brain, my uterus, and the baby. Um yeah. which which yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure how else to explain it other than my brain, my uterus, and him being where he was. I don't know. Created this situation where he was ready to come out, and he came out, and and that I didn't have to push at all. That's it, and that's the thing. So, as labor begins with each contraction and this is also when you are in a safe environment where the physiology is undisturbed now this is key for this to be able to happen right it's the key it's also called the fetal ejection reflex right same thing and what it is is that your body continues to have contractions continues to build up the oxytocin level in your being and in the womb more and more and more and more and this is what creates stronger and stronger and stronger contractions but it also creates a stronger altered state of consciousness it also creates you know the whole environment of pain relief through your natural hormones and so when this build and build and build and you get to a peak that can happen right that can happen that that will happen it's the sign to be that way why maybe this is not um, always experienced by women is because the physiology is not upheld by the space holder around you, which again, even though it's hard to understand, doing nothing as a midwife, as a space holder is actually the, the most of the time the best thing you can do. Now, you know intuitively when you need to speak to a woman, maybe to reassure her or to do some little things, but poking and prodding and doing things to a woman that takes you out of this physiological space. It really does. So, you know, for anyone listening, you want a midwife in your space that can sit on her hands and do knitting in the kitchen. That is like probably the best skill she can have. 
you know, in that space, to uphold that safe physiological space. Then obviously we know all the stuff to do in case things do go astray, which if you, but this is the key. If you, as a space holder of birth, hold the physiology intact, very rarely do you need medical skills. Only, only occasionally do you need to do something to assist a birth if you uphold that safety. Yeah, absolutely. And the more I started reading about it, and it sort of said um, it's very uncommon in hospitals and it's about, uh, and and much more common for it to happen in home births and it's about um, safe space and um, safe people around you. And that, that, that can be how it's, uh, how it comes about. And really, like, definitely in hindsight, I was in my lounge room with one per- midwife who I sort of knew, um, but who was lovely. And she was, as you were saying, holding space, sitting in the corner, sitting on her hands. And it really felt for the whole day. And especially that last six hours when I was in active labor, that it was just me and him. Like, and I, I will say, I definitely don't think I could have done it without him. He was amazing. Um, and it did. It felt like it was just the two of us or just the three of us with the baby, um, doing it, doing it, or do, just doing it. Yeah. I love it. What a beautiful story. I love this. And I, I feel like your story will have ripple effects for women who listen, like to truly understand how to optimize their, physiological natural birth you know so if you if you had a first time mom in front of you right now who's about to have her first baby and she really wants to have a natural and empowering birth experience what advice and pearls of wisdom would you give to her um well i don't know the statistics but i do know that i read at some point just planning a home birth not even having the home birth, but the planning process of having a home birth can decrease your uh, risk of having any intervention. So I think that was that was something that was really surprising to me. And when I read that during my pregnancy, I was like, great, I'm planning, I'm planning a home birth. So um, I'm well on my way to avoiding those interventions that I do want to avoid. And it's obviously about, you know, positive thinking and the planning of the home birth. Um but my other pearl of wisdom would probably be to get your partner as educated as possible on not just your birth plan, but on the cascade of interventions. My, by the end of my pregnancy, Tim knew everything about the cascade of interventions and he was as passionate as me about avoiding them. And I think that is different than just a partner who is going along with your wishes. Um, like he really believed in, he really believed in my beliefs in uh, that I could do this. Um, so I think that was really important. Um, and then the last pearl of wisdom is probably to, um, read up about the fourth trimester and breastfeeding because that's something I probably didn't look into as much as I should have. Um, and is pro- because we focus on birth, so we focus on the labor so much, um, during our pregnancy because it is such a big deal. And so scary, um, mm. and so unsure. Um, so we focus on learning everything about that. And I think we should focus a little bit more on what might happen if you have a low milk supply or, um, things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. Just to echo what you're saying, you know, I can, the women and the families who take the natural birth course, for example, has, you know, a 90% chance of having a natural birth. And it is the planning, it is the preparing, it is the optimizing, it is the education. So saying with like, you know, preparing for a home birth, and I see that kind of going hand in hand because that means planning for a natural birth, right? And you do you do the research that you need to do. You you understand how to prepare body, mind and soul and and your environment and all of this. And it does, it does show. Uh, and I, I've definitely seen that throughout the years with, with the women I've been working with, both obviously as a spiritual midwife, but um, also just just taking a course actually like increases um, your chances. And um, also what you said about the partner, I make sure that all my mamas, whether they're just taking the course or they're working with me, you know, that the partner is with them, you know, that they also take the course, that they also, as, as you say, you know, I say to them, for the partner, not the woman, and this is really important, I think, to watch like, you know, Birth Time, the documentary, right? That shows in Australia, uh, the maternity system. However, that's very much in the rest of the world, Western system. Or the business of being born with Ricky Lake. Like that's an old one, but it's very still, if not even worse now. And it shows also the men who sometimes think, well, hospitals are the safest and who can be a bit iffy maybe about um just having a midwife, you know, thinking that that's not um, as safe and it turns them around because when they realize and they understand the statistics and all of that, which um, can be so important for their logical minds to to have before they can make that decision and feel confident with that. And then obviously I, I can't agree more with you, but about the postpartum, you know, and all that that entails really, um, as a first-time mom, I think it's fair enough that most of your energy and time is spent on preparing for the birth. But again, um, understanding the postpartum, you know, um, understanding your transition, the rite of passage and your transition, understanding the importance of the 40 days, you know, of, of breastfeeding, bonding with your baby, and definitely healing as a newborn mother, all of these things, you know. Um, it's also something I'm so passionate about so yeah thanks for sharing that thank you for coming on the natural birth podcast it's been an honor to have you Anna. i listened to the podcast so much during my pregnancy and it just helped so much giving me the confidence to know that there were so many women out here out there doing having natural birth and even if they had some risk factors or some other um things going on during their pregnancy but still having those natural home births um so your podcast was such a great thing for me to listen to throughout my pregnancy. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please consider sharing it, leave a review or make a contribution on our Patreon page. And if you want to connect on social media, then find the podcast on Instagram as the natural birth podcast. Thank you for listening.